welcome to The Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our show today, we have a special two-part program. Back on the show with us is Marsha Headley, my former pastor. She's the author of the book, Prayer Dynamics. I will put the link in the description box. She also has a ministry on Mondays called Prodigal Monday on her Facebook. I will also put that link in. And I'm so excited to have her to talk about the message God has given her called Reasons for Hope in This Hour. Welcome back to the program, Marsha. Thank you, Beth. It's great to be back. I'm so excited to have you back. Well, you know, you and I were talking, and in the hour we're living in, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, discussion uh, inside the church about the prophets and what God's saying in this hour. And so uh, when when there's a lot of confusion, I like to turn to my elders and my mentors. And so I'm so excited to hear what you have to share, what the Lord's put on your heart. And so I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you share what, what the Lord is saying to you. Thank you, Beth. I really believe that God has not left us as his people hopeless, even though there is a sense of hopelessness that I think we all are having to battle at this time because things went off different than we thought they would. Because of that, there's a lot of disillusionment. We fasted, we prayed, we sought God. We were earnest before God. I really do believe that there were more people praying in the last number of months, probably starting since COVID hit. But the church has been banding together to pray for many years now. I know that I personally have been asking people to pray for our nation and for Israel for at least five years And I was listening to the um, different speakers who represent prayer foundations and organizations, and they were sharing about how long ago it had been since God urged them to get the people of God praying. And I've heard a consensus from different ones that say there's been more prayer movements and more prayer endeavors that have gone forth in the last number of years than at any time in recent history. So I believe that in itself is a reason for hope. I've shared before on this program that Psalm 3723 is probably my most favorite book or scripture in the Bible. And it says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. One of the things that I believe this is underscoring is that we are not alone in this life. God cares. God is with us. God is ordering our lives. In fact, I want to make a point here that agnosticism basically says we don't know if there is a God, but if there is one, He is outside of the space of our reality and everything that has to do with man. But that is exactly the opposite of what the Bible shows. 
The Bible shows that we have such a caring God that he cares about the number of hairs that are on our head, that he cares about the trials that we are going through, that he cares about even the sparrows that fall. He cares about the lilies. Jesus made that a point to let us know that we are not to worry because our Heavenly Father cares for us. So we are very much in the projection of God's attention. God cares about us. He wants us, even in this hour, when we don't understand all that's going on, God wants us to have hope. And I want to share some reasons that I believe that. One is found in Romans 15, verse 4, that says, Such things were written in the scriptures. In other words, God gave us the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. That's Romans 15, 4. I hope you'll underline that in your Bible. But the Bible not only wants us to have hope, hope that's found in the word, but hope that's in our hearts. But he wants us to share with others about the hope that's in us. God tells us not really to share our faith, except I know we are supposed to. But Peter specifically says, be ready to give an answer of the hope that's in us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And it says for us to do that with respect and gentleness. So we're to share the hope in us. We're not to keep it to ourselves. And then the Bible shows in Romans 15, 13, how that the God of hope wants to fill us with all joy and peace and believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't only want us to have hope. He is the God of hope. And so he naturally shares his hope with us. Colossians 1.5 says that there is hope laid up for us in heaven. So we not only have hope here, as Paul the Apostle said, if we have hope only in this life, we are of all men most miserable. But the Bible shows that we have hope that's laid up for us in heaven. And then we know that we have hope here because Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then I love 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, and we often think of this about the coming of the Lord and also about dealing with the death of a saint because it says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You see, the world doesn't have hope. They don't have hope in death, and they don't have hope in life. But God has given us both hope in life and in death and in the life to come. But we know that when we lose hope, the Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twelve that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think many of us have felt that experience of feeling heart sick, that we feel like we've lost hope because things didn't come out the way we thought that they would. 
But God still has a plan. And we haven't seen the fulfillment of his plan. So God wants us to wait. He wants our hearts to rest in hope. I want to share with you some reasons, two or three, that I believe there are reasons for our hope deferred right now. One of those, I believe, is prodigals. Having been the parent of a prodigal, I know it can make your heart feel sick. And then when anything else comes on top of that, all that we've experienced, for instance, in this nation, it compounds the feeling of heart sick. And God wants to lift that off. And I want to share today about something that God did in my own life. We had a prodigal and it was a very difficult journey. And I'm not going to share about that prodigal right now. One day I will. I'm actually working on a book that will include part of that testimony. But I believe that God wants to give us hope through this testimony I'm going to share. I have been doing what I call Prodigal Monday. Beth, you mentioned it. And I post a letter to those who are praying for prodigals. And I share two scriptures for people to pray concerning prodigals. I've been doing that for about five years now. And Bruce and I were at a meeting, a minister's meeting. It was a large gathering. And the speaker that night, his name was David Wagner. And he operated in the prophetic. And he would give a message. He actually preached. And woven within that message, he would come and give a prophetic word to whoever God led him to. Well, that night, there were many, many people there, and David Wagner gave many prophetic words. But he came over to my husband, Bruce, and I, and he began to prophesy over Bruce. And he said things that in the past, when Bruce has received prophetic words, these same things have come forth. And so they were underscorings from God about what God is doing and what he's going to do in Bruce's life. But then David Wagner turned to me and he began to prophesy over me about something I was praying about the very night before, things I was asking God to do. And he began to prophesy those things that God was going to do them in my life. And then he began to pray over me and stopped. And he began to say, none shall be lost, says the Lord. This is the season of the return of the prodigal. And I, I want to go back because he said twice, none shall be lost, says the Lord. None shall be lost. This is the season of the return of the prodigals. And he said, declare that, begin to declare that in the house. This man did not know anything about my ministry for families who have prodigals. He didn't know that any of that. He had never seen me, never met me or Bruce. And I knew, and so many that were in that meeting also knew it was divinely a word from God. Because many of those people had seen the post that I had been making at that time for about three and a half years. 
And so one of the things that also confirmed that word was that David Wagner gave a, gave a word that would happen at Easter of that year. That was in the month of March, and God fulfilled that word that David Wagner spoke about Easter in our lives. So I shared this word with you one more time. None shall be lost, says the Lord. This is the season of the return of the prodigals. Begin to declare it in the house. I encourage you to declare it in your house also. And then God had burdened my heart, Beth, for us to pray for our prodigal nation, for prodigal Israel and for our own prodigal nation. And I'm going to specifically focus right now on our prodigal nation, the many concerns that all of us have. And one of those concerns, I believe, is for the unborn. We felt as Christians like we were just about to get rid of abortion in this next term of presidency. We really believed that was going to happen, but things turned in a whole different way. And so now there's been a great concern in my heart, and I know in the hearts of other Christians for the unborn. So what do we do? I believe that God wants us to do what we can do. We do the possible, and we trust God to do the impossible. We can't make the decisions of pregnant mothers. We can't make the decisions of our government, but we can make the decision to pray. We can pray that abortions will be ended. We can pray that babies' lives will be spared. God cares for the children even more than we do. The Bible shows that Jesus cares for the little ones, for the least of these. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he talked about the least of these and the unborn baby is definitely the least of these. So God wants us to continue to pray and fervently seek him to end abortion and to pray for mothers who are pregnant out of wedlock or have decided they don't want any more children. God wants us to pray for abortion to be ended. He wants us to do everything that we can as good citizens when we have the ability to influence our lawmakers, that we will speak. In fact, just this morning, I sent a letter to my congressman and thanking him for something good he had done. We need to thank them when they do something good, and we need to petition them also for things that have yet to come before them. I'm not going to cover that right now, but I want to talk to you about paying taxes because I had someone ask me about this. What about paying taxes if our taxes are going to be used for abortions? Well, I'm going to refer you to the New Testament because Jesus said we should pay our taxes. In fact, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He even sent Peter to go get a coin out of a fish's mouth to pay his and Peter's taxes. So we know Jesus paid taxes. And we know that same government that Jesus paid taxes to was the same government that Herod used to kill the babies in Bethlehem 
after Jesus was born. And yet Jesus sent Peter to pay his taxes. He knew all that was going on in that government more than anybody else knew. But Jesus knew specifics. You and I don't know many specifics, but Jesus does. And he indicated that we are to pay taxes. Paul also told us to pay taxes. And interestingly, during Paul's lifetime, Nero was killing Christians. But Paul told the Christians that they should pay taxes. I want to encourage you that right now the Hyde Amendment is still in place that has kept tax money from being used in abortions. Let's pray that that Hyde Amendment will remain intact. And God cares about the unborn, so let's continue to pray. Let's do everything we can. But remember this, the same cries that reached the ear of God when Israel was in slavery, the same cries, the cries of the souls martyred under the altar in the book of Revelation, God heard those cries. And likewise, the Bible says in in the Bible, it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. So God does care about our cries. And that's found in Psalm 34, 15. God cares about the righteous and their cries. So let's let God hear an echo of the cries of the righteous on behalf of the unborn. The next thing I would like to talk to you is about the concern about the prophets, the unfulfilled prophecies. I don't have all the answers for you, but what I believe I'm going to share is a perspective from the word of God that will give you hope. Some people don't believe in prophets or prophecy as I do, but the Bible shows that there are reasons to believe the prophets. In fact, I'm going to give you three specific reasons, and one is the veracity of the word of God, because at least 24 books of the Bible, that includes the book of Psalms written by David, who in the New Testament was called a prophet, 24 books are written by prophets and are filled with prophecies. Many of those have been fulfilled, but there are yet many unfulfilled prophecies. And if we do away with prophecy, we have to do away with 24 books of the Bible. Jesus believed the prophets. It's very interesting that in Luke 24, 27, Jesus specifically shares in, to the two men on the Emmaus Road. It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus was very meticulous about fulfilling the prophecies written about him. I want to say this. Jesus could personally fulfill some of those himself. For instance, he could get uh, the cult of a donkey. But Jesus could not provide the parade that the Bible shows. They would say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
And Jesus wanted to fulfill the things that were written of himself concerning the prophets. In fact, Jesus spoke that to his disciples, that he said, shall I not fulfill those things that are written concerning me? So Jesus was very aware of the prophecies, and he believed the prophecies. Now, let me mention the book of Revelation. Because in the New Testament, all of the prophecies in the book of Revelation have yet to be fulfilled. There may be some fulfilled, but those are things we have yet to understand. And so we cannot throw away prophecy, as some would like to do. Also, we need to look at what the Bible says in the New Testament about the foundation of the church and what it's built on. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 4:11, and it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Beth, I'd like to ask you, have we arrived there yet? No, we have not. So, would you be in agreement with me that we still need the prophets in the days that we live in presently? Absolutely. Well, First Corinthians goes on to say, I'm glad you agreed with me there, Beth, with growing this program. <laughs> but First Corinthians chapter 12 and 28 says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So we know that's another confirmation in the New Testament that these offices have been given by God. Now, let me share some things that the Bible says in the New Testament about prophets and about prophecy. In the New Testament, we are told to judge prophecy, not prophets. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, where it talks about judging prophecy. It's interesting that the book of Acts shows there were prophets that were operating in their gifts in the church during that time frame. In fact, the drought and famine that was coming to Jerusalem was prophesied. We also know that the prophecy concerning Paul and what would happen to him when he went to Rome, we know that the believers believed those prophecies, and they all wept, knowing it would be the last time they would see Paul. But there were others that were fulfilled or that were given in the book of Acts. The Bible says that there are works of the Spirit. It says to one is the gift of tongues, to another prophecy. So we know it is one of the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible says also to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that we may prophesy. That's 1 Corinthians 14.10. The Bible says, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. 
hold fast what is good. That's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 20. Testament, we're told, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. We must be very careful what we're saying, how we're treating the prophets during this time. We are never admonished, I want to say that again, to judge the prophets in the New Testament. We are told to judge prophecy. And we are also told to judge Yes, it it really takes the heat off, doesn't it? Right, right. Off of the prophets. We are told to judge nothing before it's time. And it's not time. We certainly have not seen the conclusion to the matter. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2, 3, that we are to wait for the outcome of prophecy. Says for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. Then that scripture goes on to say, but the just shall live by his faith. We have to have faith and wait. Let me share some examples in the Bible why we have to wait for prophecies to be fulfilled, even when we wonder why weren't they already fulfilled. Let's look at the prophet Elijah. He gave a prophecy that Jezebel was going to be killed and that the dogs would lick her blood in the streets. That was not fulfilled in Elijah's time frame. It was fulfilled through the through Jehu, who went and had Jezebel thrown down as instructed by God. But it ended up being the fulfillment of Elijah's prophecy because the dogs Indeed, licked up her blood in the street. And then let's look at Elisha. When Elijah was going to be caught up into heaven, Elisha said, My father, I would love a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, If you see me when I'm caught up into heaven, it will be yours. And we know that Elijah's cloak fell into Elisha's hands or he picked it up and then God began to do miracles at that very point through Elisha. But at Elisha's death, there still had not been double the miracles that were performed during Elijah's time. However, there were two men that were carrying a dead man. And this is after Elisha's death. And they saw there were raiders coming to attack. And instead of caring about the dead man and his burial, they actually threw him into Elisha's grave. That man sprang to life, fulfilling the double anointing that Elijah said would be Elisha's. He did exactly the double the number of miracles that Elijah did. So it was literally a double portion. Yes, it was. It was literally fulfilled. And then we see the the book of Isaiah, which is the most prophetic book concerning the coming of the Messiah. It says, um, let me just share some important prophecies found in that book. Isaiah 7:14 says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. And then Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. But do you know that all of that has not yet been fulfilled? The government has not yet been placed on Jesus' shoulders. But indeed, Jesus has been called Wonderful Counselor. He, he fulfills all of that. But the complete fulfillment of that verse hasn't yet taken place. Now let's move to Isaiah 53, where we see the persecution and the suffering of the Messiah. The Bible says that, um, that he would, the Messiah would be killed, but not for himself. And that, that is confirmed also in the book of Daniel. It's confirmed also in Psalm 22. But it's very interesting that in Isaiah 53, there's a scripture that the Dead Sea Scrolls, I, I would like to stop here and say that the whole book of Isaiah was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I want to share with you a scripture that the, the text previously that we had did not declare this, that this was one of the few little tiny exceptions in the book of Isaiah. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Isn't that awesome, Beth? I believe it speaks wow. of the resurrection yes. of Jesus. I love that. So then concerning the prophets that were sent, what did Jesus have to say about them? Because Jesus did talk about the prophets. And he, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it and to her. And he said, how oft I would have gathered you, but you would not. Another time he talked to the scribes and Pharisees. And he said, you build tombs for the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. But he said, you're just like your fathers and you kill those who have been sent to you. Now, let's move on to Daniel, because Daniel gave many prophecies, none of which were fulfilled in his lifetime. If he had been in Israel instead of Babylon, he would probably have been killed like Isaiah was killed. Because Isaiah prophecies did not all come to pass. So they killed him. Historically, that is shown. But Daniel's prophecies have come forth, and they're amazing. If you've never studied Daniel's prophecies in the light of history, I hope you will do that. So we cannot do without the prophets. We see that the whole foundation of the church is built upon the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the veracity of the word of God is built upon the prophets. So now I want to share one other thing. And I'm, I'm moving across many scriptures that are still in the Bible. I'm going to scroll back. 1 Corinthians 13 is worth sharing. It says, whether they be, there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is in part shall be done away with, when that which is perfect is come. Now we see through a glass darkly, 
but then we see face to face. Now we know in part, then will we know even as we are also known. So the Bible lets us know we don't know it all. There are things about prophecies we don't have all the answers yet. We only have a portion of the knowledge. But here's the third thing I want to make to accentuate about prophecy and why it's very important that we still believe in prophecy. This is number three, and it's the end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit is very much the involvement of prophecy is woven through both the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and Joel 2, 28. Both of those, it prophesies that there will be, uh, this is what Peter said, this is that, this outpouring that you see was prophesied in Joel. And he said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men will see dreams. Your young men will see visions. And upon my handmaidens and my servants, they will prophesy. Do you see how significant the prophecy is, the gift of prophecy in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you and I are believing to come not only on our nation, but on this whole earth? Yes. Because the Bible shows that that it will yet happen. I believe that. It, Peter did take claim over that. But let me share this with you. Peter also took claim over um, Psalm chapter 2, where it is prophesied that the Messiah, that the kings of the earth will align themselves against him. That was fulfilled, as Peter said in Acts 4.25, concerning Herod and Pontius Pilate. But that psalm also has a future fulfillment where all the kings of the earth are going to come against Jesus. And when the saints of God, when we come back to fight and uh, all the kingdoms of the earth, that psalm has a future fulfillment. So do you see that Peter had right to claim the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? But we also have a right to claim this future fulfillment, because we are still in the last days. So praise God, Beth. I'm believing for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I believe it's happening. Bruce and I travel a lot, and we are getting words from all over the place of things that God is doing. So let's begin to pray, God, do it here. Wherever you live, my friend, those of you listening to this podcast, say, God, begin to do it here. Now, I want to close this part up, and I want to share about how Jesus treated John the Baptist, because it shows how we should treat the prophets. When John the Baptist sent people to him, he said he sent his disciples and to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting Or should we keep looking for someone else? At this time, John the Baptist was in prison. And I'm sure it was a place where John had second thoughts trying to figure out what was going on. How did Jesus treat those questions by John the Baptist? Did he say, I can't believe that the same man who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has sent this message to me. 
I can't believe that man who said, I don't even have, I'm not worthy to unlatch your sandals, that he would send this word to me. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus told his disciples, go back and tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, those that have leprosy are cleansed, and the poor are hearing the gospel. That's what he sent back to John. But then he told the audience, he said, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a reed shaken in the wind? Did you go out to see a prophet? He said, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He said, there of all the prophets, he said, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing, Beth? What do you think about that? Yes, I think that's incredible. I'm just, I'm sort of soaking it all in. I think you have laid out an excellent case for your reasons for hope, and God is working. And it shows how we should treat the prophets. That's right. We don't have the end of the story yet. God is still working. We know that prophecy is real. We know that the Bible shows prophets are real. So let's give some time and do as the Bible says and judge nothing before it's time. And now I want to wrap up with this. There's a great concern as to why God has delayed in answering our prayers. The Bible tells us to keep on asking and we will receive what we ask for. Keep on seeking and we will find. Keep on knocking and the door shall be open to us. So even though God delays, he has not said no. And often God delays because he is trying to bring exposure to the evil that has not yet been exposed. God also delays at times to unify the church. Right now, the church is very divided. And if God had answered our prayers the way we wanted them, the church would still be divided in a huge way. But the Bible says that Jesus prayed for the church to be one. And that's found in John 17, verse 20 through 23. I hope you'll go back and read it. Jesus prayed not only for the church of that time, but he said those that were yet to come, I pray that they will be one. The Lord wants to strengthen our unity. He also wants to heal divisions in the church. Let's pray that God will do that. And then the Bible shows that when God delays, that God strengthens us in our faith. It's through the trying of our faith that God works patience in us. And it's through the testing and trials of our faith that we become stronger. And I believe that through this testing time that God will also ultimately bring greater confidence in his prophets. I'm believing for that. It's not going to shake my faith whether somebody prophesied wrong or not. It's not going to shake my faith in the gift of prophecy or the office of prophets because I know the Bible is true, and that's where my faith rests. So as we close, Beth, I want to encourage people with this scripture, and it's found in Luke 18, chapter, chapter 18, verse 1. 
And it says one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And he spoke about a widow who came before an unjust judge. And finally, because she nagged him so much, she would not relent. He finally said, I, just to get rid of this woman, I'm going to give her what the justice that she's asked for. Now, this is what Jesus said in verse 8. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. That's speaking of the unjust judge. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? That tells us that our faith is going to be tried, Beth, but we're not to stop pleading before God to give us justice. Amen. And, you know, there's more. I believe there is at least 10 righteous in every major city in this country. And so I'm standing and believing for God's justice, that God's uh, his his light of exposure is shining in all the dark places and that it will bring about justice in our land. I'm definitely standing in agreement with you for that. And I'm also waiting Uh, standing with the prophets. I don't know how God's going to do the things he said he would do, but I'm standing and believing that he will. And so I so appreciate you giving us these wonderful reasons for hope in this hour. This message is so desperately needed right now. We we need uh, wisdom in the church. We don't need a lot of confusion and a lot of different voices. And so I thank you so much. I look forward to next week to part two. I know you have uh, you have even more that you feel like you're supposed to share with us. And so uh, um, I just encourage everyone to please listen to part two and to check out the links in the description box. Anything you want to leave us with for this episode? God is still on the throne and we have to keep looking to him. None of us have the answers, but we have a God that we can trust who does have the answers for tomorrow. Amen. Thank you so much for being on the program. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.